I cringe. <laughs> we could do how do you Yeah. How do you start a podcast? I don't know, the last time we were fine. Okay. I think we need to um maybe think about the intro that we have for this. Um this is the second episode of the first. Um It has, has a name now. It has a name now. We actually lied because the when the last episode went up, um we had named it by that point, but when we were recording we didn't. Yeah, that's true. So there was quite a long monologue in the beginning about how the podcast didn't Nothing have a name. Monologue. But actually it did, so we lied. Um so this podcast is called The First. Um hi, thanks for listening. Um if you're coming back after episode one. Because people actually listened. Because people surprisingly listened. Thanks. We Almost appreciate 200 people. Almost two hundred people. Mm-hmm. Thanks. Um yeah, thank you to everyone who listened to the first episode and told their friends or subscribed or gave us helpful feedback. Um, we were kind of overwhelmed on a sort of, I guess, large scale for us. We didn't necessarily yeah. think anyone would listen. So I don't think I know 200 people. So. I definitely don't know 200 people that would want to listen to us talk about no. Instagram fan accounts. So I'm really glad that people did. Um, so thank you to everyone who listened. Um, if you don't already follow us on Twitter, we would appreciate it if you could. We're um, there. We're at the first um, obviously, you can find us on SoundCloud, um, so it's soundcloud.com forward slash the first pod. Um, on iTunes, if you search for the first, and we do have Instagram at the first pod, but we don't know if we're going to use it. We haven't used it yet. Um, so just feel free to tag us if you especially <laughs> need to, um, and we'll see how we get on with that. Um, do we mention the email address? Um, yeah, you can mention the email address. Um, if you made it, I can't remember it. I did so. made it. Um, although I, the other day when I had to use it, I put it in wrong, so someone's awkwardly going to get a random email oh, to that address. Um, so if you do want to email us with any feedback, thoughts, memes, Tom Hardy Instagram hate picture, mail. hate mail, don't send us hate mail. Um, it's, I have a weak disposition, it's not good. We probably will cry and you'll hear about it on the internet. Um, it's thefirstpod at gmail.com. So Classy. That makes it sound really official, yeah. doesn't it? Um, if you have downloaded through iTunes, um, can you leave us a review? Oh, please. That sounds really beggy. Meek and lowly two reviews. Um, from two exceptional people. Yeah, thanks Vix and Scott. Thanks Vix and Scott for the reviews. Um, but if you could, that really helps us. We did get into the uh, the old iTunes charts. I haven't got that on my notes, but I just want to put Number in... Number 84? 89, I oh, think, no. was the okay. highest point we reached. Okay. But thanks, that's a bit, ahead of, a bit of an ego boost and makes us want to... And then we more. rapidly plummeted to about 120. In the next day hours, we were out for 200. But, but you know, fine. at one point we were sandwiched in between two really good podcasts. Mm. So there you go. Um, next time as well, we think that um, we'll probably do some threaded tweets and share the links of things or articles we mentioned. Last time we did refer to a bunch of stuff, which we have now shared on Twitter. But um, in future, I think the when this episode goes up, when episode two is online for, for download, we will tweet out the links and things that we reference Absolutely. just in case anyone wants to read those. Because um, there is a bunch of stuff that we refer to that's definitely worth reading. So um, we're more than happy to share that out. Um, I th- we talked about how regularly we're going to do this. Yeah, um, three weeks, two weeks, three two weeks every two to away. three weeks. Um, you're busier. Steph is a lot busier than I am. Um, so it basically depends on when she's not slaving away at her desk at work. Um, but we're aiming for two to three weeks. Um, sometimes it might be quicker if something massive happens. I doubt it. Um, but hopefully two to three weeks. So um, look out for that. And we'll, again, we'll post on social media when eps are up. But if you subscribe. A, that'll be on your rate review. review. That's the ones. Um, so yeah, so we two three weeks. Um, we did get 
some feedback about the sound on the first episode. Oh, yeah, with stereo, mono, whatever it's called. Yeah, so if uh, you listened to the first episode and only had one headphone in and wondered why either Steph or I was shouting at you but the other, you couldn't hear the other one, it's just because of how we recorded it. So We've, we've had really good microphones, We have right? great have some really microphones, stuff, but we... just don't understand the difference between those two outputs. No. So Learning curve. So we're time. really sorry if you that was annoying for you. Um, we are sorry we could go back and listen again with the other ear in yeah well. maybe if you only got steph's perspective you really want to hear mine so go back and listen um so but we're fixing that for this time around so sorry um i'm not apologizing this no oh, i'm a bit worries. sorry steph's not sorry <laughs> sorry not sorry not sorry um I think we'll move on to the corrections section the correction section Did I say is that? not a rip-off of any other podcasts I'm just glad I said that without scoffing at how um, it sounds a bit stupid. So there were things that we, when we listened back to the first episode, that we realised were wrong. <laughs> Shall I just read my list? Yeah, just go through them. <clears throat> so, uh, in the correction section from the first episode, um, the kid in It um, is Finn Wolfhard, who plays Mike in Stranger Things, not Will Byers, not who was the kid Will. that's in the Upside Down. I have a Stranger Things tattoo, so I should know this. Yeah, well, um, so they, they do look really similar as well. Yeah, they so. do. Small boys with brown hair. Brown hair. Easily, easy mistake to make. Sorry about that. Um, the UK air date for Buffy was apparently 30th of December 1998. So I think you're being nitpicky there. Well, we were right. I think I said the year after. Fine. Um, season two of True Detective, the plot was about real estate. I didn't know that. I think what did I said, we think it was? City planning. City planning sort They're of both they're similar. Boring. Boring. Um, so there you go. Sorry to anyone in City so Planning. I'm really sorry if you were offended by that. Um, I say Lena Dunham, and then I said Lena, Lena Dunham. This will come up again, because we are... I second-guessed myself when you did that as well. Yeah, I like, it's oh. I, I practised um, this week, because we are going to be talking about her later on. So in front I, of a mirror. In front of a mirror. I was saying her name repeatedly, hoping she'd appear. Um, so I'm really sorry if that was annoying for you. It's Lena. It's Lena. Lena. Um, the podcast that you mentioned was the next picture show, not the last picture show. Yeah, I got muddled up with the last podcast on the left there. Easy mistake. So I just sort of combined the two to the last picture show. It's the, ne- the I'd listen to that show. podcast, mm-hmm. to be fair, if that was a combo. Um, the Edgar Wright movie that we couldn't remember was The World's End. Um, not Attack of the Block. Not Attack of the Block. That's the John Boyega, yeah. Joe Cornish directed film. And not film. The Sisters of Mercy soundtrack. No, we actually cut out about 20 minutes of us going back and forth about what the film was called, so it's the world's end. Cool. There you go. Um, the yoga pose was uh, mid-cobra, not semi-supine. That's very different, April. That's one for the yoga fans. Um, and the, the Janie Slate and Chris Evans film that um, they did together was called Gifted, and Landline's another one that uh, Janie Slate's in. So there you go. Yeah. That's the uh, correction section for this week. Uh, Soz and stuff. Soz, etc. We're going to move on to news. Uh, we'll start with the Heath Ledger um, documentary um, called I Am Heath Ledger. Um, the trailer was released on the 4th of April, which I think would have been his 38th birthday. Um, it also premiered at the Tribeca Film Festival this week, and it's going to air in the States in May, I think. Um, the documentary ties documentary sorry ties in with an exhibition that's going to be opening at the Western Australian Museum mm. in Perth in October, um, which is going to be a retrospective of Ledger's life. And um, you know his career in film, how he, where he grew up, his entire sort of backstory, um, which is kind of really interesting. I was a big Heath Ledger fan. Oh yeah. And I was really sad when he died. It felt really, you know, way way too soon. Do you remember where you were when he died? 
I don't know actually, where was I? I think I would have been at uni. I remember distinctly coming out of the shower and being wrapped in a towel. Oh. And strange. And seeing it on the TV and just running up and down the halls. I remember texting like banging on doors. Going, I, remember, yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember texting like about five different people who I knew were like extra big Heath fans and being like, "This has happened, holy shit!" And that was almost ten years ago now. I know that's crazy. It's really really sad. And I had a look at the um the IMDb cast list just because I was kind of finding some info about it, and um, there's a whole bunch of people in there, including Ang Lee, the director of um, Brokeback Mountain, Naomi Watts, who dated Ledger for a while, um. Australian actor Ben Mendelsohn who was a close friend and some of his family um, interesting omissions were Michelle Williams mm. who obviously Ledger was with for a while and is the mother of his child Matilda and no Jake Gyllenhaal who was um, famously quite close with um, Heath Ledger and obviously they were in Brokeback Mountain together so I guess it was just maybe too hard for yeah them. understandable I, initially I was a, I thought like oh that's a bit strange but I think if I, I mean I definitely wouldn't want to they had his sister or something in the trailer I yeah think. his and sister she looks like she was barely holding it together his family have been really heavily involved i think and they've been doing a lot of press this week actually in sort of in support of the film being at the film festival um it's described as a personal documentary because because i think it uh, uses sorry a lot of original so much of his own footage. yeah he was apparently quite good at you know recording things he was doing whether it's filming and just sort of day-to-day stuff so it's kind of nice that they've involved that i don't know how i feel about the documentary as a whole i'm I'm assuming because the family are involved, it'll be a positive spin. I think my initial um, apprehension was that it was going to be kind of, you know, like, oh, what happened to him towards the end to make yeah. him, you know, unfortunately kind of accidentally take his life. But it well, doesn't seem that way. Interestingly, there is a documentary that's coming out, um, I think, just before uh, this film mm-hmm. comes out called What Killed Heath Ledger. Oh, uh, it's a one hour documentary. It's coming out a week before. It's about his role as the Joker, about all of the puzzling clues That's by saying air uh, marks uh, from left around from when he died, and particularly his connection to Mary Kate Olsen who was rumoured to have given him the drugs that killed oh, him. Oh, I remember so reading that. So that's out literally a week before this comes out. And if you put those two in direct contrast, it's like you can see which one is... The yeah, I remember reading a lot about the Mary Kate Olsen stuff. Actually, some of the press stuff I have... There was an interview on The Guardian that I read this morning, actually, with his sister. And I think she was trying to refute the stuff about how it was the Joker role that kind of yeah, sent him off the rails. like... I think people just want a horrifically tragic story, don't they? I think because that role was so such an intense role, which he was incredible. And a brilliant in. role, yeah. yeah, because he was so brilliant in it, so such a consuming kind of role that I think that it's understandable that people, when they were looking for reasons why mm. done, there was a kind of slippery slope downwards. Mm. I think people instantly went towards that role rather than anything else he'd been involved in. So I guess it kind of. And we've got a thirst for tragedy, haven't we? Society is Yeah, just, there was all that, you know. It couldn't just be an unfortunate mistake. No, it has really, to be a big conspiracy. Absolutely. Um, very, very sad. But um, yeah, looking forward to seeing the documentary if and when it makes its way over here. What's your favourite Heath Ledger film? What's my favourite Heath Ledger film? Ooh, um, it's probably 10 Things I Hate. I was going to say, is that too obvious? Yeah, it's probably 10 Things I Hate. It has to be. It was the first Heath Ledger film I saw, and it's probably one of, if not my favourite film. Um, and I think about it with alarming regularity. And I used to it, uh, watch it with a, an I alarming regularity. So just, yeah. It's such a great, like, classic teen film that he's he's just exceptional in it. Um, I do really like his role in um, 
the Dark Knight. He's in, he's mm. incredible as the Joker, and uh, he's obviously amazing in Brokeback Mountain as well. Um, but he's probably ten people hate by you, mm. definitely. Good shout. Um, in CBB's corner, um, Chris Evans. I hadn't intended for this to be a regular feature, I know. but episode Did you, two. I very much enjoyed how many messages I had from people about this. Are you going to talk about this? Can you talk about this? Um, yes, we are. Chris Evans, Captain America himself, is yeah. going to be reading a CBB's bedtime story on May the 10th. Um, the book he'll be reading is called Even Superheroes Have Bad Days, which is by Shelley Becker and Ada Caben, I think is the surname. Um, thoughts? I'm sure he'll be very... He had to do a superhero book. He had to do a superhero yeah. book, yeah. This isn't one I'm actually not familiar with, despite my involvement in children's books. I haven't read a children's book for a very long time. <laughs> Just superheroes. But, um, um, they're going full... Yeah, they're going full pelt on this thirsty mum's business cbb's are trying very 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 hard to impress the mum crowd there was a um article on the guardian website mine i know there was an article on the guardian website this week um from Stuart heritage um this i read it and obviously it's massively it was very, offensive this article massively <laughs> offensive Stuart heritage writes things that are massively tongue-in-cheek anyway but this particular quote i felt was basically for our attention um, it is. Uh, Chris Evans is there for mums. Ever since the series signed Tom Hardy up to read a couple of books a few months ago, CBB's Bedtime Stories has doubled as a kind of fizzy knickered maternal respite service designed to give parents something pretty to look at while they attempt to scrub wads of spaghetti hoop juice from the grain of their carpet. Um, I find that really offensive. Yep. Um, also, I'm alarmed at how regularly I'm now coming across the, fa- the phrase fizzy. Fizzy um, knickers. I this I'm not a... into that use of the phrase, but yeah, I thought that was a one-off, but apparently it's a thing. Um, um, who would you, if you could pick any other famous <sighs> celebrity? I knew you were going to ask me. Um, this yeah, I'm you sorry, inevitable. Um, who would you pick? Mine's obvious, Jake Gyllenhaal. Is it Jake Gyllenhaal? It's Jake Gyllenhaal. Is it? Yeah, I just think he'd be great. There was yeah. a, in Life, the space film. He was in recently. He <laughs> reads a he reads a children's book in that, and and my feeling towards the film was that I wish it had just been an hour and a half of him reading kids' books. So. Basically, I just wish you'd do a CBeebies thing. Um, you got your wish anyway with Tom Yeah, Hardy. I got my wish. I had this thing where I felt like I would quite like Mads Mikkelsen to do it as well, just because I oh, think it would be slightly... That would be good. I yeah. mean, they're quite in, they're quite broad with who they get. Yeah. This week there was um, Stacey Solomon. Oh, sure. So, I mean, they're not picky on the no. A, B, C, D listers. So no, this um, is true. Also, in that Guardian article, I just... Why the fuck would you choose... Um, Oh, they mentioned Mel, Mel Gibson. Gibson. I mean, that... There was a tentative list of, like... Is that supposed to be... Is that a joke? I think it was a joke. Okay, I hope so. I did enjoy your reaction, though, to the to the idea that Mel Gibson would be reading a children's book. Like, I mean, he's only... He's just grossly sexist and racist, but sure. Yeah, I mean, um, I know that we've apparently um, accepted him back into the fold. Oh, I mean, he was nominated yeah. for loads of awards at the beginning of this year, which was weird. I don't think he'll be allowed to read kids' books, though. No, I think that's... I hope that was tongue-in-cheek. A step Maybe too Maybe I read far. that too literally. I think you read it too literally in your um, anger towards it. Um, Another piece of um, kind of book news from this week is that um, HBO are going to be adapting Ray Bradbury's um, Fahrenheit 451 Mm -hmm. for a a full-length series um, to star uh, Michael Shannon and Michael B. Jordan. Um, Michael Michael Shannon, Shannon. personal favourite, and Michael B. Jordan played... um, He's in Friday Night Lights. He is in Friday Night Lights. I'm wearing a Friday Night Lights Uh, t-shirt. 
Um, he played Vince Howard in that. Um, Michael B. Jordan will be playing Guy Montag and uh, Michael Shannon will be playing Captain Beatty. Um, and it will be directed by um, Ramin Bahraini, who also directed 99 Homes, which was a film that Michael Shannon and Andrew Garfield did a couple of years ago, which is um, mm. definitely worth seeing. Um, it's interesting that, I mean, there have been adaptations of the book before in the past. I think there's a film. Yeah, I think there's one, isn't there? There's one film. That's there's a film, a and I think it may, I think they've been adapted for the stage and the radio as well. Um, it seems incredibly prescient that um, a kind of, in 2017, the year of the revival of the dystopian. Dystopian, novel. yeah. I mean, Handmaiden's Tale is. Um, I think it's this. I think it might actually I have been last night in the it's states. It's either last night or tonight. tonight. Yeah. So that um, you know, Margaret um, Atwood. Yes, Margaret Atwood. Margaret Atwood's um, Handmaiden's Tale, um, starring Elizabeth Moss. Um, I'm really looking forward to watching that. I don't know how you feel. Um, really, really looking forward to it. I haven't revisited that book for a long time no i read it um, a couple of years ago but it seems like as you said a great time for it to happen um i wonder what it must have been like to record that during the presidential election that yeah absolutely because <laughs> it would have been filmed pre donald trump coming into actual power so um yeah it just seems very very on the nose i think mm. with you know men being so actively involved in women's body rights and everything like that and you know fahrenheit 451 is about freedom of information and burning, but burning books and, and stuff like that yeah. so these are kind of themes that are very too real so timely, yeah. i mean i know there's this been a lot of chatter recently with you know 1984 being on top of the amazon charts again and these types of kind of books that were written you know decades ago foretelling the future seeming to have come coming back round coming back round so i'll be very much interested to see um what they do with that one what did you think of elizabeth moss's uh well not just elizabeth moss but the entire cast really shying away from this idea of it being a feminist story that was weird that my was my favorite thing about that panel i think it was at tribeca film mm. festival this week um elizabeth uh, moss made a comment that was something along the lines of i think she was asked whether about it being how Handmaiden's Tale was a very feminist yeah, tale. Yeah, she said it's not a feminist story, it's a human story because women's rights are human rights. Did you see that Margaret Atwood, though, completely... Was like, nope. no, it's about <laughs> yeah. women. Which I think that's that's funny to me that the writer would be there and be like, no, 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 that's not... Yeah, I don't... I just... And they all seem to really shy away from giving any it's kind strange. of answer so I don't know I just don't understand why I found it I really really interesting to, to um, dress that yeah I don't know why you would be so because it is it's a feminist story the whole the whole plot is about women the protagonist is a birthing machine yeah I mean, it's about the oppression of women it's about you know it's not just it's all women it's not and you of know of course it's a human story but I just don't I yeah it just I think that, that seemed to of... me to be putting almost too much of a political twist on yeah. it to say like oh it's about the oppression of everyone which obviously the story as as it is is a kind of a wider allegory mm -hmm. for yes the oppression of all peoples but the... well, we're starting with the oppression of women but it's the oppression of women and and even you know like we've just said that that that's stuff that's very current that's very mm. now you know there is the oppression of of women and it's not it's not a book set uh in the past uh in a society where women have never known freedom it's a book where women have known freedom and then they are suddenly taken pulled away back them. into yeah, yeah absolutely which that you know that's, again it's again just 
super timely very very timely so yeah I, that was an interesting panel um kind of round up to read this week actually I, I just i did find it really funny that margaret um, atwood was just there being like nah she says it as it is nah yeah she's very um very on the nose mm. um also talking about kind of uh, feminist um you know actors um anne hathaway um this week was discussing her attitude towards female directors um while she was promoting her new film uh, colossal um, the film itself has been praised for how it explores um, how women often face misogyny from men um, who are kind of using their generosity to get what they want. Mm. Um, in an interview with ABC News, um, she was talking about what she considers to be now, retrospectively, um, internalised misogyny that she exhibited towards um, female filmmakers. Um, she cites the 2011 um, film that she made with um, Lone Scherfig, um, who directed um, her, the adaptation of David Nichols' One Day. Um, I found this really interesting mm. because I think that there's been a lot of really, really outspoken um, female actresses of late basically laying their cards on the table and saying that like we're not going to tolerate things mm -hmm. anymore. Um, so one of the things that came up in the ABC interview was... Um, and Hathaway said, um, I am to this day scared that the reason I didn't trust her the way I trust some of the other directors I work with is because she's a woman. I hope people understand that's hard to admit. Mm. Um, Hathaway then went on to um, explain that she thinks that she didn't give Scherfig what she needed for the film because she was, quote, resisting her on some level. She says that her reflection on filming one day has impacted how she looks um, towards future films directed by women. Quote, when I get a script, when I see a first film directed by a woman, I have in the past focused on what was wrong with it. And when I see a first film directed by a man, I focus on what's right with it. I focus on where he could go with the next one. I focus on where she failed to go. I can only acknowledge that I've done that and I won't do that anymore. Before I realised this, I had actively tried to work with female directors and I still had this mindset buried in there somewhere. I think this is huge. It's huge and it's brave to be able to admit and to see that you are also a product of that misogyny as a woman. Absolutely. I think I'd be terrified to want, yeah, to put that out there and have people criticise me for that because it's the last thing you want to admit that you're doing without Absolutely. It's, a re it's kind of like an admirable le level of accountability to basically step back and say, like, I've done this in the past mm. and I think the reason that I hadn't trusted this person is because they're a woman mm. and even as a woman, um, I'm aware of how shitty that is. Yeah. But I'm now trying, I now, you know, I'm holding my hands up and saying that's probably why it happened, but I'm working towards, Yeah, I think you know, we need to be more accepting of that too, don't we? Absolutely, I always think that... Also, we're all susceptible to it and we like to think we're, yeah, we like to think we're so sussed about it and we, yeah. Absolutely, I think one of the most important things about being actively and trying to engage actively with feminism actually is, is having a degree of accountability and being able to retrospectively acknowledge absolutely you know where you've gone running in the past how you can change your behavior how mm. you can walk, work towards changing you know things that have been wronged against you and stuff like that so i think that this was kind of i guess it's a you know adding to the kind of general chatter that seems to be happening in hollywood um interestingly jessica chastain um the actress was very vocal across social media with her support for anne hathaway and um Good. she herself this week has discussed publicly that um her decision to no longer be involved in a film unless she's being paid the same or more than her male co-star and that she actively seeks out female directors and, and films with female crews and um finally uh, Coachella. Coachella. Coachella that happens. Weird phenomenon that is. The weird Coachella, that phenomenon. I'm yet to understand. It. Um. One thing I don't understand about Coachella is that it happens 
for two weekends. Yeah, I this was new for me this year. I didn't even realise until realize. this year. So I it mean, happens. I, I don't. Yeah, happens across. It's always near Easterish, kind of. It's always in April. Um, it's two weekends, so it's like a three day, um, festival. And then the following week, the exact same laying up, except exact same location happens again. It's weird. Can someone explain Coachella to us? Because I don't. It's get it. like the festival for people who don't give a shit about music, right? It, except I, it has great artists on the bill the a lot of the time. Always but no one's there for it. Everyone's there just to get really high. And... Coachella very much seems very much like a festival you have to be Instagrammed at. Instagrammed at to be seen at. Um, the lineups are always really good. They're always very good at getting um, people to reform for it. Um, this year the headliners were Lady Gaga, Kendrick Lamar yeah. and Dra- I want to say Drake. Drake was there. Beyonce was due to headline um, but she was pregnant and I was guess. told that the doctor, doctor told her that she couldn't do it so I think she's doing it next year. Um, I had seen some very interesting pictures. Rihanna. Mm, me too. Rihanna looks... I mean, Rihanna was the stand-up. Rihanna was wearing some outfit. sort of, like, diamond... Morph suit made of diamonds. It was very strange. Um, I read a thing where she said that she couldn't... She One day she was due to go home, and she said that she couldn't leave the site because not enough people had seen her outfit. That's the I'm most... into that. I'm kind of... I like that I she get just it. accepts that. You, if you fine. think you look good, you won't be able to see it. This so. must have been expensive. I mean, if it's diamonds. Um... There, but Coachella's also very well known or um, for being a lot of cultural appropriation with Ooh, what people yeah. wear. It's a big fashion festival. Yeah, there's a lot of you know. Oh, I'm going to Coachella, so this is my outfit. A lot of bloggers go. It's very you know you have to be seen there. The oh, cultural appropriation stuff makes wank. me so angry. Yeah. Vanessa there's Hudgens a lot of is a controversy very, around. I don't know Coachella. why boring people need to be wearing Indian headdresses. Oh, God, and bindis. It's just, no. Native American headdress- headdresses and bindis and things like that are not, they're not acceptable anyway, let alone no, in a festival in a, in a desert. Um, they, Lady Gaga and Bradley Cooper were also filming scenes from their new film A Star Is Born, one of the days that she was headlining. Um, that's pretty cool. Um, Selena Gomez also set a new record for the most Instagram oh, liked that. Instagram picture of. Um, she posted a selfie of her and her boyfriend um, so sweet. Abel from the weekend. Yeah. Sure, if you're gonna do that. Sweet. Darnies. So we're gonna move on to what we're currently enjoying and what we're looking forward to. Um, do you want to start? or Should I? Um, hold on. I just. <laughs> Need a little uh, refreshment there. Um, I don't mind starting. Go, you go. Okay, so things I'm enjoying and things I'm looking forward to. Um, music, uh, Paramore have released this new song. Of oh, I really I like forgot it. forgotten the name. It's called... I don't know. Um, yeah, I think I like it. I've added it on my list of things I enjoy, but now I'm not sure how I feel. <laughs> uh, the beginning hard. sounded like uh, The Cure. Um, it's very new way kind of jangly like close to me kind yeah it's of called Hard Times Hard Times that's it it's very new wavy yeah new very indie I saw pop. online someone had compared it to Talking Heads which as a Talking head fa- Heads fan I found slightly offensive what was that alphabet band Alphabet yeah it just made me think like that I think, oh, I yeah. think it's just like it's really alphabet. Um, I mean because Paramore have, their sound has definitely changed I mean 10 years ago Riot came out I'm surprised that yeah, ten and years if you listen to time. Riot now, it's so much more pop punky, rocky kind of vibe. Yeah. To, I mean, the last album, the self titled album, was a lot poppier with like "Ain't It Fun" and. Oh, it was great though. "Ain't It Fun" was a. I love. Yeah, song. I mean, I'm I'm re- I've really enjoyed their kind of way they've transitioned into being a little more, bit more poppy. There was an article in the New York Times, an interview with the band this week, 
and they um one of the quotes from that was that they'd said they were always too pop for rock music and too rock for pop music yeah it's very true which it kind of makes a lot of sense it just reminded me a lot of um Carly Rae Jepsen yeah yeah which I'm not mad at yeah I love, you're not gonna be mad at I that. love Carly Rae Jepsen so um was completely into it but yeah it's um it's interesting. It it took me a couple of lessons. Yeah, I'm I'm not quite there yet, but I'm I, yeah, I applaud them for doing something. I'm a bit sold different. on it. It and, made uh, me go back. I home. don't think they I don't think they'd ever do anything badly, to be honest. So. No, and they definitely they they take their time in between um, records, mm. so it seems like they're very kind of they think a lot about it. I mean, it, it made me go back and listen to their back catalogue. Can you tell me that Hayley Williams anecdote again about her hair? Because it made me laugh. Oh, so one of the things in the New York Times um, article, they were talking a lot about how the band have, yet again, been through some lineup changes. I think the uh, old drummer who left in a, a quite dramatic fashion a couple of years ago is now back, but Jeremy Davis, the bassist, has left. So that all those legal wranglings have been going on and the band nearly split up, blah, blah, blah. Um, but one of the most cringiest things in the article was that Hayley had said that she was slightly sick of being defined by her hair colour and her hair currently is like a so white blonde and she said it's because you know it's like mirroring like it being like a blank slate <laughs> um which so silly it made me wince but also she has a hair dye company uh, so, no. yeah she does she set up like is a she? yeah it's like a vegan you know like environmentally friendly like but it's like super bright colours which She'll obviously just produce her own hair dye yeah, which I thought was pretty funny that she was she basically... She doesn't want to be defined by her own hair, but has a hair dye company. It's called Good Dye Young. Good Dye Young. Brilliant. So, catchy. Cool. Um, yeah, uh, I've been listening to a lot of Prince. Obviously, it's been a year since Prince uh, I can't believe it's been passed a year. away. Very, very suddenly. Um, yeah, a whole year. So that's slightly mad. Um, fans were expecting uh, a six-track EP to come out uh, on the the day the anniversary mm-hmm. of his death called deliverance um it was going to be unreleased tracks from 2006 to 2008 um released by i think his sound engineer okay. who was working on them um and of course that got squashed almost by prince's estate almost as sure. soon as it got announced sure why not uh they said releasing the ep would deprive prince from choosing what is released to the public uh, i'm just glad prince is back on spotify oh yeah that was brilliant. a that was brilliant yeah, they need to get the full discography on Spotify. There's some very specific elements that are missing from there, which bum me out. But it, for the most part, it's all it, the the, the, main, the most frustrating. The main thing, releases are on there. Yeah, hundred percent. The most frustrating thing I remember after he died was all I wanted to do was listen to Prince, and I only had my. This is what is it? I only had my YouTube, phone with Spotify, no... and I there was nothing. Yeah, you can get it on YouTube. You can get it on Spotify. You're not getting it anywhere. I mean, it's been the one nice thing, I guess, because. Uh, Obviously, Prince's estate are keeping a pretty tight hold on what is coming out of the vault. Mm-hmm. Um, I can only imagine just how much is in there. Um, but there have been a lot of great YouTube videos um, and sort of lesser-known tracks that have come out through YouTube, which has been really nice. Um, I have been listening to True Widow a bit. Uh, oh, you saw them. I saw them with ago. support Chelsea Wolfe in London at Heaven. Sort of kind of shoegazy psychedelic. I'm sad I missed that show. Rocky. They were great. Chelsea Wolfe was great. I think there were a few... Uh, technical hiccups um, 
but she's always great. She was really amazing when we saw her brilliant. a couple of her years ago. Her voice is unbelievable. So she yeah. kills it live. Like, yeah. I remember, like, I, I, I always find she's quite a difficult person to listen to on record, and I very mm. much have to be in the mood yeah. to listen to it. But I think when we went to see her live um, in Islington a couple of years ago, I was completely blown away. Yeah, just was so sold on it. Just sort of it's insane. Everywhere, it's yeah. great. And it was, it was great this time. Um, and, yeah, I was really kind of... True Widow were were pretty good. It's quite a long set for a support slot, which mm-hmm. was a bit weird, but um, I have been listening to it since. It's pretty good. Uh, film wise, we're probably going to cover sort of overlap quite a lot. Um, we saw The Handmaiden at the weekend. We um, did see The Handmaiden. Um, what did you think? Uh, I thought it. I really enjoyed it. It's uh, so it's a film um, directed by Park Chan Wook. Yeah, he um, uh, also directed Old Boy, Lady yeah, Vengeance. Yeah, he's a Korean director. Stoker. Uh, Snowpiercer. Um, did you say Snowpiercer? Oh, I didn't. I don't know why I left yeah. that off. I thought, oh, is I, thought I was talking over Yeah. Oh, okay. I didn't realise that. Yeah. Sure. We're going to have to double check this and put it in correction section. I thought it was... Uh, maybe. Um... Great. Uh, it's based on uh, it's great, great, based on a book by Sarah Waters called Fingersmith. Um... But this book is obviously uh, set uh, elsewhere in 1930s Korea. Um, I thought it was really good. I really enjoyed it. I yeah. thought it was going to be, um, based on the trailer and based on those previous films mentioned, I thought it was going to be a lot darker. It's completely different yeah. to how you sold it in the trailer. I think no, going into it, knowing full well that it was um, inspired by the by Sarah Waters' book, um, I obviously knew that there was going to kind of be like an erotic sexual element to it mm-hmm. um you know it's beautifully shot there's so much great framing and attention oh, to detail beautiful. into it but that trailer when we saw it each time at the cinema i very much thought it was going to be in a similar vibe to his past films and yeah. there are elements of that yeah but there there's a few bits kind of near the end there are a few snippets um yeah in that vein but it's very much led by the kind of the eroticism and it's kind of a psychological thriller rather than a thriller it's very very much about manipulation about power play mm. um you know voyeurism who's watching who who knows what um the voyeurism was great yeah kind of... i liked the change in perspective it's like it has a three-part narrative it's part one part two part three and you get the first two parts are the same situation but mm. from a different person's yeah, point of view and, and it's re- you know it's really interesting in how it does it um there's a lot of class and dynamics in there as well mm. um escapism people trying to leave situations they're Dual in languages and yeah oh yeah the switching between because it's about um occupied korea mm-hmm. at the time i don't really know much about the, the don't ask me i know but it was occupied korea i was told when i got home um <laughs> So that was interesting, the switching between sort of Japanese and Korean cultures and the crossover there. And, you know, one of the main plot points is that um, a character wants to become naturalised to become Japanese. Mm. He's a Korean man, but he wants to become Japanese. So that's sort of interesting. Um, I think there were interesting comparisons. I mean, it made me think a lot, obviously, about um, Park Chan-wook's other films. Yeah. Um, I thought a lot about Stoker. Have you seen Stoker? I have seen Stoker. I Yeah, yeah Stoker's the um, English language film he made with Matthew mm good and mm-hmm. i want to say nicole kidman and mia wasakowska um it's that was sort of a family thriller mm-hmm. about again about concealed identities and yeah. truths and it was all contained within one space and the handmaidens a lot of it takes mm-hmm. place within one big stately home and that made me think about that quite a lot yeah um did you think a lot of the time 
um, I'd be interested in your take. So did you think that any of the erotic scenes were too voyeuristic? Because a lot of the... Yeah, there's been some... And it's... Yeah. Because a lot of the interesting discussion that I've read and listened to around the film have sort of spoken a lot about how everything seems quite prolonged and it, and um, yeah. and it's the blurring of whether it goes from just being kind of like an erotic film to being full on pornography yeah i mean it never it didn't quite for me it didn't quite fall into yeah it didn't it, it didn't, didn't feel straight too long to full blown pornography but it did linger slightly too long on those scenes i think for um, me that felt a bit like the kind of the general thread of voyeurism though because you're you know you're watching them mm. That that is that, that's what that felt like to me. Mm. I mean, I think some of those scenes overstayed, but they're welcome by a fraction. So mm. I think the length of for me, nothing else about those scenes felt unnecessarily voyeuristic. I but f- it was just the length of time. It was yeah, just it was they lingered slightly into time, lingered too long. Where you just think I'm just sitting here watching them now. Yeah, I mean they they felt right in the in the actual narrative with what was going on with this. Mm-hmm story arc and all of the scenes like felt necessary oh yeah, yeah absolutely actually there was only one i think it was one scene we won't say anything for plot spoilers there's one scene towards the end um like the very mm-hmm. end where i felt like that for me was like this just feels a bit too much yeah but i mean there there is sort of a plot point in that that actually links back to something in the beginning mm. so it's kind of cyclical in that respect yeah. but that scene at the end did feel like a bit too much yeah agreed but overall it was good it yeah, was good. I enjoyed it. It just um, looks amazing. It's yeah, so... I would have, you know, for my own tastes, I would have preferred something maybe that was ever so slightly yeah, darker. Yeah, we or, or when we left the cinema, violent, we, which I, you know, yeah, we did when we left the cinema, we did talk about there's a sort of a couple of bits towards the end where it kind of does creep back into the kind of classic Park Chan Wook kind of what's um, in the basement. Yeah, the so basement good. stuff and the, um, that I would have liked to have seen more of that, mm-hmm. but then I think maybe it would have been a different film. So. Mm-hmm. What can you do? Mm-hmm. Um, I will leave. Uh, I'm going to leave three five to when we go through your bits. Sure. I'm sure it's on your list. Um, but we saw your free fire recently. Um, I'm looking for forward to. Uh, my friend Dharma came. The, oh. the sort of yeah. So the announcement yeah. for that um, a film uh, about the early years of Jeffrey Dharma. Based uh, on a graphic novel that I think was written by one of his schoolmates. Yeah, by one of Jeffrey Dahmer's high school Yeah, mates. so it was written by... How yeah. weird is that? Can you imagine, as an adult, saying, I went to school and was friends with, with Jeffrey, Jeffrey Dahmer? For those of you who aren't murder aficionados... Wow. Um, Jeff, shame on you. Shame on you. Um, Jeffrey Dahmer is a fairly infamous serial killer from the um, was he 70s and 80s, mm-hmm. I think Dahmer was. The high point of all... Just so many serial when killers. serial killers was a big yeah. thing. At um, large quite gratuitous gruesome gross murders um he tends to be the person i end up reading about if i ever find myself in a position to read about serial killers Mm -hmm. dharma's my my go-to he's your fave he's my fave i get the i get the feeling he's your fave i'm really interested in in this film actually um one of the leads whose name (laughs) escapes me ross lynch ross lynch he is yeah from disney he's from a disney Disney background this is insane to me yeah that he has gone from Disney like TV and films to playing an actual fucking serial killer. And not yeah, not a meagre one. Um, not a meagre. The bit I liked actually wasn't even wasn't even that. I was like, yeah, that's pretty funny, but you know, each to his own. It was when he said like, oh, I'd be really keen to do Disney again. It was like, do you Can think you you're imagine? going back? Can you after imagine this? 
like as a parent walking in one day and your kids watching Disney Channel and being like, oh my god, that kid played Jeffrey Dahmer. Yeah. That's like you can't come back from that. This is a role that you do when you want to break out of Disney. Like fully. This is the this is his equivalent to Selena Gomez in Spring Breakers. Yeah. And Vanessa Hudgens in Spring Breakers. And Miley Cyrus being Miley Cyrus. And Miley Cyrus being Miley Cyrus. You can't come back from this. No, you don't come back from that. But uh, we don't, yeah, not many other details about it yet, but sounds... I think it was. At, I think it's at a few festivals at the moment, film festivals. Um, it looks very, very good. It does. I'm sure we'll be talking about that in future. Absolutely. Um, the book I'm looking forward to um, that I'm going to read next is Reservoir 13 by John McGregor. Oh. Uh, John McGregor is a fairly local, actually, uh, writer. He writes kind of experimental uh, fiction, short stories, novels. Uh, this is his first book, his first novel in about seven years, oh, I cool. think. Um, it's set in a kind of small community small village a young girl goes missing and instead of focusing on the family who are affected and the young girl the book kind of focuses on the community who are affected by that tragedy that happened in their community um my colleague sam uh has read it and said it was great he described it i liked this a lot (laughs) as uh uh, if david attenborough wrote a sociology book so i'm really intrigued to see what that is like um sounds great and i'm also seeing john mcgregor very soon he's playing uh he's doing an event at norfolk and norwich festival that um i'm working on and his john mcgregor is very um he did this big piece for us and he's been in the media he's been quite vocal about uh banning the lectern and just scrapping the kind of the traditional layout and sort of method of literature events with the lectern and the Q and A and in conversation. Oh, interesting. Okay. To, he's not into that at all. He doesn't want that. So his event with us that we don't know loads about yet, but there's no Q and A. There's no, you know, it's it's quite performative. Uh, he wants everyone to have access to Wi Fi so that they can use their iPads and phones if they want to, but it's not compulsory. So it's very interactive, and he doesn't. He, yeah, it's not going to be what a literature event. That's really interesting about. because I mean we've I mean, we've both you know been to a lot of literature mm. based events and those things do get very same. It gets very. It's odd. very you know conversation about your writing background, conversation about the, whatever you're promoting at that moment, yeah. and then you know a perhaps reading. a reading, then a Q and A afterwards, and they yeah. do get very very formulaic. So that sounds incredible. Yeah, I think it's going to be really oh, good. Awesome. The book sounds really great as well, um, so I'll let you know. Um, TV, uh, I haven't been watching a lot of TV recently because my poor TV has Is died. it because your TV broke? Yeah, my TV died for eight days, not that I was counting. Um, and so apart from that, we've just been kept re-watching Twin Peaks. Um, but I am looking forward to, uh, obviously, The Handmaid's Tale. Um, I'm looking forward, I want to watch American Gods when the first episode comes That's out. soon, isn't it? Yeah, so it's the, yeah, it's the... TV show based on American Gods by Neil Gaiman. Um, it's got Ian McShane in it. I love Ian McShane. Uh, Can you also say that it's got someone from Hollyoaks? Uh, yes. Well, that was going to be my next point. Ricky Whittle. Sure. He's been in other stuff, but I just think you're you, you're Hollyoaks so dude, the, right? The problem with the announcement of that this freaks me out. The announcement of the cast for this was all very exciting and seeing all the big names, and then it was literally like saw a picture and we were like, really? Is that Calvin from Hollyoaks? Yeah, it's literally Calvin from Hollyoaks. I that. It's a bit like the. Can you unsee it? I just can't. No, it. it was like in Game of Thrones where um, Sasha played one of <laughs> yeah. um, Khaleesi's handmaidens, and then also it was Lu- just the cast of Hollyoaks. And then Louise skins. was the girl that shows 
Cully, see how to have sex. Yeah. I think that's just. And wasn't like, it Chris from Skins? Chris from Skins plays oh, um the one of the it people that helps pretty. Aria. Yeah. And then uh God, who's the blonde girl from Skins? Cassie. Cassie. From Cassie Skins from Skins has the babe. Oh Christ! It's it's so jarring when people from soaps end up in actual prestige that, yeah, television. Yeah, it's really distracting. So I'm gravitating towards Ian McShane on here. Sure. Uh, but apparently it's had really really good v- reviews. Uh, one of the co-creators is Brian Fuller, who oh, Hannibal. Oh no, did he? I'm thinking someone else. I'm thinking oh. Brian Singer. Sorry. Oh, Brian Singer. Sorry. Brian, Brian Fuller. Fuller is Hannibal. Yeah, Hannibal and something else I can't remember. Uh, that comes out on the 30th of April, the first episode. So I'm looking forward to that. Um, and apart from that, podcasts. I've been listening to Shit Town, which we can talk a little bit. I about. haven't finished it yet. Have you? Um, no, I'm about halfway through. I've um, got two episodes left. Uh, for those who don't know, Shit Town is based. Is from the makers of Serial. Makers of Serial and This American Life is um, mm-hmm. a guy called Brian Reed um, goes to a town called Woodstock in yeah. Alabama yeah. Um, because a man um, called John B. Macklemore gets in touch with him and asks him to go. Stuff. Well, sorry, asks him to go and investigate a murder um, that he thinks may have happened, and then the kind of story unfolds from there. It's really interesting. It's really interesting. It's not. It does not go. Uh, is not following the kind of trajectory I was expecting at not all. Not at all, um, no. But I still can't stop listening, so... Definitely. I didn't want to blitz through it too much. I've kind of been savouring the episodes. I've also been doing that. Yeah, it's really, really interesting storytelling. So I guess we'll... It's on my list too, actually. I guess we'll talk about that when we're um, when we're finished. Yeah. Uh, would you like to do yours? Yeah, so uh, music-wise, I've been very, 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 very infatuated with the new Kendrick Lamar oh, Damn. Um, it yeah. came out the uh, 14th of April. Um, I'm a huge Kendrick Lamar mm-hmm. fan, um, but I also don't feel the need to talk actively at length about Kendrick Lamar and how important his records are in the current climate and mm-hmm. everything like that. There are people out there that are way more qualified and say more interesting things to talk about it than me. I think you're very eloquent. However, um, it's just insanely good. It's yeah, it is so great. good. I have, there were, the weekend that it came out between then and now... I've had it on such solid rotation. Um, his music is just very, very interesting. It's super catchy. Um, you know, we talked before about Humble, um, the song, the single that had come up before that, and the video, mm-hmm. um, the really interesting video for that. I think it's one of the best tracks on the record. Possibly. Yeah, I'm, I'm super at the second, the first song in um, after the intro. Oh, D- DNA. Yeah. Um, Kendrick released a video this week or last week now um, for that that had Don Cheadle in it I haven't watched it oh have you not seen it it's no. really good um, what's funny the whole there's a whole arc on Damn um, where Kendrick refers to himself as Kung Fu Kenny and I was reading an interview this week with Don Cheadle where he says that Kendrick rang him up and asked him if he wants to be in this video like three days before they started filming Amazing. and then he gets to the video and they're kind of doing all this stuff and one of the things is Don Cheadle raps in the video um, and then Kendrick one of the, the interviewer, sorry, in this article asked him if he realised that um, Kendrick Lamar's Kung Fu Kenny character was based on a character that Don Cheadle had played in Rush Hour 2, who was called Kenny and who un- owned a Chinese takeaway and dresses exactly as Kendrick Lamar has been dressing recently. And Don Cheadle was like, yeah, it took me ages to realise it though. And when I told Kendrick, he was like, you didn't get it? Which I thought was amazing. I just really love the fact that Kendrick Lamar isn't that much of a nerd. Yeah. Like, he's just one of us. He's just a total nerd. Um, So, yeah, super in a heavy rotation of Kendrick Lamar. The only thing actually to pull me out of this was listening to some old Marilyn Manson. Oh, excellent. 
I a think specialty of mine. A specialty of yours. Um, I think this actually came out of a conversation we were having about Marilyn Manson. Best Marilyn Manson songs. Best Marilyn Manson songs. We were talking about Bowling for Columbine as well recently. Ooh, we were yeah. talking about um, Manson's section in that. Um, I So I've been listening to Hollywood, Hollywood. Hollywood. Songs, <laughs> um, and Mechanical Animals. What's your favourite Marilyn Manson song? Nice uh, Disposable Teens. Uh, 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 uh. I feel like we saying... this discussion... Um, Antichrist Superstar is definitely my favourite record. Uh, I feel like Disposable Teens and The Beautiful People are up there as two really strong ones. I feel like those are really emblematic of Marilyn yeah. Manson. Like if you needed to send a song into space to Aliens. Straight bangers. They're and, straight bangers. As representative of Marilyn yeah. Manson. Um, there are a few other tracks on Antichrist Superstar which I think really stand out for me as well. Antichrist Superstar, the, uh, the title track. Uh, is yeah, really it's good. great. Uh, so yeah, I've listened the to Mighty a lot. Fear is a pretty good song. Um, yeah, yeah, I've been listening to a lot of Marilyn Manson. Um, sure. One was a day last week where I looked at my last FM. I still use last FM. Do you? I do. My top four Shocker. was um, Kendrick Lamar, Marilyn Manson, Kylie Rae Jepsen, and <laughs> Lady Gaga, Brilliant. which I thought was like yeah. painfully on brand for yeah. me. Painfully on brand. Um, you mentioned the new Paramore. Um, I'm really looking forward to their new record, um, After Laughter. Um, that's the name of oh, the album. Oh, no. Which, Is it? Yeah. Oh, no, no, that's... I know. No, that's like corrections. I know. So it comes out in May. And um, I've also been listening a lot to the um, two new songs um, Bleachers put out. Um, oh, I haven't listened to them. I love Bleachers. Um, Ble- Bleachers is Jack Antonoff, um, formerly of the band Fun and Steel Train. Steel Train were a band that were on Drive Through Records, so he's a pop punk kid through and through. Um, he's worked a little smirk. <laughs> he's worked with um, Lord Taylor Swift. He did um, Out of the Woods and a couple of other rec- uh, songs on mm. 1989. Um, he's dating Lena Dunham. Um, yeah. His last Lena album, Lena, sorry, his last album, Strange Desire, um, came out in 2015. I remember playing that so heavily um, during the summer. They're just like really, really great pop songs. They remind me a lot of kind of vampire weekendy kind of throwbacky stuff like that super super good one of the songs has kylie ray jepson on it um hate that you know me that's super good um jack antonoff also did a really great episode of the nerdist podcast where he um talks quite at length he's very outspoken about a number of things um sort of lgbt rights everything like that but this episode in particular he talks about his anxiety and depression and i remember listening to that at a time where i was suffering quite badly from both and it was such, like, one of the most real things I've mm. listened to, where I was like, fuck, like, for someone in the public eye to sort of t- talk so openly about stuff like that, um, that was huge. So I definitely recommend um, listening to that if you get a chance. Yeah. Uh, Movies-wise, um, Free Fire, well, we um, have yeah. both seen this. This is a new one directed by um, Ben Wheatley. It's um, produced by Martin, Martin Scorsese. Um, the vague synopsis is that it's a kind of... a shootout that happens in a warehouse somewhere in massachusetts so weapons exchange weapons gone exchange wrong, gone wrong um one of the most interesting things about it is that wheatley said in an interview that he mapped it all out on minecraft oh yeah so that he could realistically see which characters would be able to shoot at one another um so clever. he said that the film itself um is a reaction to wanting to see a relatable action thriller um a reaction to the hyper-realism of big blockbusters. He wanted to see characters who are relatable and with whom you could have an emotional connection. Mm. Um, he also wanted to deal with an action procedural in a close quarters. Well, the films take all takes place in a warehouse, so yeah. you can't and get any closer than that. it's hugely... Um, it's so tense. It's, it's really so tense. funny. It's, I haven't kind of laughed like that at a film in ages, but it at the same time, I was 
literally gripping the seat. Yeah, it, go, it, it cuts... Or just feeling so uncomfortable watching it. Absolutely. It cuts very interestingly between being really tense and then also just being, like, so, so funny on so many levels. It feels really realistic in that it so much goes wrong. Mm. And you can just... I think he... Wheatley had said that it had been based also on a, sh- uh, a description of a shootout that had taken place somewhere in Miami mm. and just kind of something that had gone wrong and just all the things that had sort of come up and mishaps that had happened. Um, because I think when you watch big blockbusters and you see shootouts, you know, all the shots are on point, people mm. get hurt, you know, and in this, like, that just people don't get shot. Yeah, people don't really... People get nicked quite a lot, don't they? And yeah, there's no like on no point one shot. gets shot straight in the chest and killed over and dies straight. You know, no, it's, um, it seems like kind of it's quite prolonged and relentless and exhausting. It's so drawn out. I mean, it's a, the film itself is an hour and a half, I think, and um, that just flies by. It flies by, but it's you know because it's it's all contained in that mm. one space, and I think he does it very very interestingly. And um, the cast itself is great. Um, mm. Killian Murphy. Um, Chateau Copley, um, Army Hammer, Brie Larson, yeah. Sam Riley, um, a bunch of other people that I'm forgetting right now. Um, interestingly, I hadn't realised this, but the film itself had originally been billed as having Luke Evans and yeah. Olivia Wilde in this. Um, I do love Luke Evans. Luke but... Evans dropped out to do Beauty and the Beast. And I Martin... think it would have been a bit weird. I Evans actually is. thinking about it now, I'm assuming that he probably would have been the Army Hammer yeah. role, maybe. I haven't mm. actually found out who he would have been, but that's the only person I can think logically. Yeah. Um, and Olivia Wilde was um, obviously would have been the Brie Larson role, but she um, left to do um, a show called Vinyl on HBO, which Martin Scorsese was producing. Mm-hmm. Um, that got cancelled, though. So, oh, yeah. Gutted. Um yeah, I mean, I think one of the things that has been interesting in all the stuff I've read about this is that it, it definitely seems a bit more light-hearted than Ben Wheatley's other yeah. films. Have yeah. you seen many of them? Yeah, I've, uh, yeah. I've I really seen... enjoyed High um, High Rise last year. High Rise. Uh, and he did Kill List. Kill List and a Field in England. Field in England, as Sightseers as well. Um, those so his previous films do have a very much a dark undertone. High I, Rise was kind of a stepping stone between them a bit. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. It's definitely like a transitional film. Um, but this is this is kind of light hearted, in parts, while also just mm. being very. I think very this tense. is my favorite. I think. I think it's my favorite. I think I've yeah. I, I really enjoyed High Rise, mm-hmm. but I think this one has the edge for me. Yeah, absolutely. I think High Rise was quite polarizing. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought it was a good adaptation of the um JG Ballard book, mm-hmm. and I really liked. I mean, it, it just visually was amazing. Mm-hmm. It was so stylish. Um, just aesthetically, it was a pleasure to look at, and I really. I mean, I, I saw um Ben Wheatley talk at Glasgow Film Festival last year, um after a screening of of High Rise. And um, he knows his shit. Yeah. He's he's such a film fan. He's a complete nerd. He knows he's a his, complete nerd. Isn't he, he knows he his source text. He's just you know this is this is everything to him. He reminds me a lot about um, of Edgar Wright actually in that respect mm. in that he's got such an encyclopedic knowledge of kind of film and culture and you, that definitely comes through in his films. You know you can you can tell that he knows the kind of with Free Fire especially, I mean, and obviously working with Martin Scorsese on this, but you can see the kind of influence of, of kind of a shootout film, you know, like big ba- big budget thrillers. Mm. Um, it, it has been compared 
to Reservoir Dogs, I think because it was all in one oh, location. It's just all in one location. That seems really lazy. Reservoir to Dogs me. isn't in one location, is it? No, but there's the, that big scene. Yeah, the, it's just a scene. Yeah, I, I didn't think that at all. I didn't see that either, really. No, I mean, it has sort of yeah. Tarantino vibes in its ensemble cast and kind of. The soundtrack's great as well. The, the use of sound in the film actually is yeah, really good. Everything really. sounds realistic and. Yeah. yeah, it's very, very loud. The gunshots are very. The really like like ear piercing which you know just again you don't get that in, in normal blockbusters no it's kind of bing bing but this was yeah so loud I, I think I flinched every time yeah just I did weren't ready for it I think another thing that I um I listened to a couple of um podcasts this week where they were mentioning Free Fire and there was one an interview with Ben Wheatley mm-hmm. and he said that one of the things he finds most frustrating in action films is that um there'll be gunfire but you can hear the um the conversations that are happening over the gunfire. Yeah, and he said that happen. just doesn't happen. He no. said he remembers being on set and he was talking to someone with ear defenders off and a gun went off and he just, like, you lost it and you just... So I think in in the, all of that kind of, you know, actual realistic info definitely comes comes through in Free Fire. So I'd, um, I'd definitely recommend um, seeing Very that good. if you haven't already. And also going back and looking at Ben Wheatley's um, filmography just mm-hmm. generally. He's a really, really interesting director and I'm really looking forward to seeing what he does next. Mm-hmm. Um, I also uh, watched a film on Netflix uh, called Win It All. Um, it's directed by Joe Swanberg, and um, Joe Swanberg wrote this with Jake Johnson, who plays Nick on New Girl. Oh, okay. Um, Joe Swanberg himself is an indie director who's sort of known for his kind of like low budget, lo fi movies. Um, he's made an insane amount of films. Um, this is his third collaboration with Jake Johnson. Um, the previous are Drinking Buddies, Digging for Fire, and he was also in an episode of um, Easy, which was a TV mm. show that he did for Netflix. Um, I really like Joe Swanberg's films. They're very, they are very laid back, naturalistic kind of fare. And um, this film in particular is about a character um, who's a gambler, and he's asked to look after some money, and it's kind of the escapades that happen after that. But it's it's not it doesn't get into t- kind of too madcap capery mm. kind of territory. Um, it's just kind of like a really really fun kind of little film. You know, it's like an hour and a half. I think mm. his films are always super short. Um, but I just love watching. I really relish them. shorter films now. Yeah, it's really funny. I was like again, Free Fire. I was so pleased that was ninety minutes. Yeah life again um which i mentioned last ep that was just under 90 minutes i think mm. um i do enjoy i mean handmaiden was an hour two and a half hours yeah i i think it it didn't feel it too much it didn't feel it too much i think yeah i do think there are parts of it i think could have gone but like, i mean i do I, slightly, but yeah. yeah i do enjoy going for shorter films mm. now um they're nice to watch at home Lazy. as well yeah i know i'm just lazy yeah it's, it's very like, difficult to yeah before you know it if you're trying to watch a film in the evening after work like I always find it that it gets really late <laughs> I always find that if I have to watch anything longer than two hours at home it actually takes me three hours because yeah. I get up to make a drink or go sure. to the loo or get something to eat it's like a weekender rather than a post work yeah it's like an entire time. afternoon so um yeah I definitely recommend win it all if you want something short and it's on Netflix um we saw Beauty and the Beast we did um, I really like Josh Gad and Luke Evans who played um, really love Luke Evans Luke Evans is so good as Gaston brilliant so I don't. He's the actually, highlight of that. I can't actually imagine anyone else in that role. No, he was definitely the best part. Of the no, and I enjoyed his um, pairing with Josh Gad as Lefou. Mm-hmm. Um, the film Very itself funny. was fine, I think. Yeah, I enjoyed it. Um, I didn't love it, but I, I didn't love it, it. But it was a nice kind of, it, you know, as someone who grew up infatuated with the Disney cartoon, 
for Beauty and the Beast. It was a nice little nod. I mean, there's the opening scenes where um, it's very beautiful. Belle and I, my heart was going because I was like, oh god, this is so you know. Visually, I think if you go from scene to scene, they have done a very very a good job. Yeah. Um, with that, um, I also watched um what we do in the shadows. Ah, oh, great. Film. Um, from the director of um Hunt for the Wilder People, um, who's Which also is another. Yeah, I recommend that Please as well. Um, the world of people is so funny. So so Love funny. Um, he's also directing the new Thor film, Ragnarok. Is that how you say? Oh yes, Ragnarok. Yeah. Um, so that's but the, the what we do in the shadows is super funny. It's about vampires um, living together in New Zealand, and it's it's a faux documentary. Yeah. It has Jermaine Clement from Flight of the Concords mm-hmm. in, who I adore. Mm-hmm. He's so funny, and there's nice little nods to um, the vampire genre. Each of yeah. the vampires who lives in the house kind of is um, emblematic of a different kind of vampire mm-hmm. within pop culture. There's yeah. the younger one who's meant to be kind of Edward Twilighty. Yeah. There's um, Vlad the Impaler. There's one that's Nosferatu. Nosferatu yeah. um, there's one that's meant to be interview with a vampire kind of stuff. So I want to go back and rewatch it, actually. It was so funny. I don't know why this. I hadn't seen it until now, but we watched it. Um, it's a, silly and it's just, yeah. It's, it's just really, for someone who likes that kind of genre of stuff, um, it's super, super fun. I definitely recommend it. Uh, TV wise, I've been watching a lot of Brooklyn Nine Nine. Oh yeah, always good. Season three is on Netflix, and I wanted something um, short to pass the time that I don't have to pay too much attention to. Um, I absolutely adore Andy Samberg. He mm. plays um, Jake Peralta. Big fan of his in this and more generally. Um, I also loved Chelsea Peretti as Gina. Gina's Gina's just hands down the best bit of this. She's and she's the best. I mean, um, Tom. Everything she says is so on point. Yeah, great. absolutely. Tom had never seen much of Brooklyn Nine Nine before, and we were just watching it, and I think even he was just like Gina is the best character. Yeah, she's Wes, Wes loves. She the show as well. yeah, it's 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 nice. It's one of the, it's set in a, a police precinct precinct in Brooklyn. Mm. Um, yeah, a little half an hour snippets. Very very funny. Love Terry Crews in it as well. Oh, he's so funny. He's so. like Terry Crews in everything. Just, I just wish he was Terry in all Crow- things. Crews he's persona. He's. I always think of that. Um, have you seen that meme that's around the internet, yeah. which is like a picture of Terry Crews in your wallet to stop you from spending yeah. money? The uh, the regularity with which I think about doing that myself is so high. I just I think feel we like should, maybe we should do that. Sticking your wallet. Um, I've also been attempting to sort of make my way through season two of The Americans, which is on Amazon Prime. Um, it, but it seems a bit too real at the moment with US and Russia. It's about yeah. some Russian spies working for the KGB living in the States. Um, we had to stop watching it because I was oh, like, oh. I can't deal with any more yeah. Russia and US it's stuff. Too real. too real. And of course, girls, which are going to be coming on to. Mm-hmm. Books wise, I'm nearly finished with A Visit from the Goon Squad by Jennifer Egan, um, who won the Pulitzer for the book in 2011. Mm-hmm. Um, and just generally speaking, I've got way too many books to uh, read. That that pile on my there desk. Few, there are a few piles near us. Um, it was my birthday a couple of weeks ago, and I received fourteen books for my birthday. I haven't finished it's my Christmas no. book list. No, yet, I, so I never finish them all. I just keep buying more just and adding them to the pile. And I get them from the library. So, um, reading wise, I'm putting the brakes on a bit. And um, podcast. You mentioned S Town, but another thing I'd like to recommend is um, the the website, The Ringer. Um, their channel thirty three um, podcast um, directory. Um, Sean Fennessy, who's one of the editors from the website, he's done a series of um, episodes where he sits down and talks with directors about their recent releases. There's a really great episode with Jordan Peele, who directed Get Out, which we talked about last week. Um, 
There's also a brilliant episode with Mike Mills, who directed a film I loved recently called 20th Century Women. Um, they're just really nice little kind of half an hour, 40 minute insights into those particular films and the director's kind of work. Um, I definitely recommend checking those out. I've kind of had a backlog recently and I've been working my way through them and they've been really, really, really interesting. Um, there's a Ben Wheatley one as well, Ooh, nice. if you're into that. So many podcasts, so little time. So little time. So our first topic of discussion uh, this episode is um, Harry Styles. Generally. Now, just generally. Um, so this week um, there was a Rolling Stone profile um, came out, written by actual Cameron Crowe. Yeah, it took you, yeah, you didn't realise that at It first. took me two reads of it. Cameron Crowe, um, if you're unfamiliar, is a film writer, director. He made his start at Rolling Stone and he famously... Um, used those experiences in his film which i think is probably his best film um almost famous mm-hmm. where um almost famous if you've not seen it if you've not seen it you should see it um is about a uh, teenage boy who ends up going on tour with a um rock group called stillwater um to write a profile of them for rolling stone magazine um i just find it really funny this is so emblematic of harry's desire to be taken seriously yeah that Cameron Crowe is doing his profile. Um, I didn't realise that the profile itself as well obviously began in January 2016, so it's a whole year long. Oh, I didn't realise that. Yeah, th- okay. it, he'd been with him for... I mean, a... I did think, this is... They're, they're visiting various locations. <laughs> yeah, they're all over the like, world. Like, all in a day, that's Yeah, it's, it goes back an entire year. It began at the beginning of oh, last okay. year. I th- I'm assuming because they obviously knew that the trajectory mm. was going to be that the album was going to be coming out this year. So, um, previous to that as well, um, Harry did Saturday Night Live on the 15th of April. It and also his, it was very good, and his also his single, Sign of the Times, um, was came out around that time as yeah, well. Yeah, and he was in the Graham Norton show as well. Graham Norton. Um, so, it's been, yeah, it's been an intense few weeks for... It's Harry Styles' time. Times. Um, the profile itself was incredible incredibly interesting to me um harry strikes me as someone that's obviously very very guarded one of the um Mm. things i've kind of liked about the profile itself is that he mentions how he likes to keep his personal and public life separate Mm. he likes being mysterious because it allows him to compartmentalize his fame which i completely Mm. get because i think when you come from a band like one direction it must be incredibly hard to um have a separation between yeah i don't think they're yeah personal and real life and it's impossible no i mean and the profile itself focuses a lot on how he's kind of going through through a really transformative period of trying to find his identity after reading um leaving one direction sorry he wants to he talks about songwriting how he wants to write his stories yeah um <laughs> he says um i wanted to write my stories that, things that happened to me like the number harry one voice. My, it's my harry voice the number one thing was i wanted to be honest i hadn't done that before i can only imagine the absolute hassle of being in a boy band uh nightmare i feel like we haven't got enough hours in the day to talk about 1d and 1d fandom um, especially a boy band that is made up of separate people that may or may not get on together yeah so the thing with one direction is that they they weren't they didn't come so obviously they were born out of x factor Mm. but they didn't come to x factor as a band they were all from the individual solo solo singers and then they were none of them made it through none of them made it through but then they were sort of chopped and chopped and stuck together as this band who then went on to be the most successful thing to come out of x factor um and to suddenly be thrown into a dynamic with all these people that you 
don't know mm. just must be absolutely insane yeah it's um, you, yeah it's kind of surprising that they haven't had any serious overdoses or drug scandals yet no i mean one direction as a whole is very interesting they're all coming out and doing their own thing now i mean obviously we've had zane's solo record which was kind of went down a r&b weekendy kind of weekendy vibe. vibe 50 50 that record some good baggers on there it's got some good some songs um he, he he did there's a new video that came out this week called still got time which is like a raucous house party That's with right, yeah zane smoking That's and drinking and half naked people and um Nathan it seems Smith. like zane especially is trying very very hard to distance himself from um, oh he's doing everything he can the wonder um one of the things that comes up actually in the profile um Cameron Crowe puts to Harry Styles about the, the Zane beef, as it were. He says... It's very um, diplomatic. Yeah, so the quote is, um, I mentioned a few of the verbal Molotov cocktails Zane Malik has tossed at the band in recent interviews. Um, here's one. 1D is not music I would listen to. If I was sat at a dinner date with a girl, I would play some cool shit. You know what I mean? I want to make music that I think is cool shit. I don't think that's too much to ask for. All right, cool, um, Harry's response to this, I think, is very, very much a testament to how um much of a gent he, he reined it in didn't he? he reined it in he says um styles adjusts himself in his chair i think that it's a, it's a shame he felt that way but i never wished anything but good luck to anyone doing what they love if you're not enjoying something and need to do something else you should absolutely do that i'm glad i'm glad he's doing what he likes and good luck to him mm. that's so diplomatic yeah. he doesn't have... harry styles is really acing this career as a profession harry starts judging by those two different reactions harry knows it already at like 23 or whatever understands this industry harry styles is exceptionally good at being a famous person yeah he's he very good knows what you should and shouldn't say he knows how to kind of take the the high road when it comes to things like that i mean he talks he's obviously asked about taylor swift his relationship very annoying for a relationship that lasted about an hour an hour um so he talks about taylor swift and how um he is supposedly the influence behind um out of the woods and style mm-hmm. subtle style subtle mm-hmm. i think it's interesting actually to think a lot about um harry styles in relation to taylor swift not just because of their relationship but because of how they kind of handled the fallout from that she was very very outspoken yeah about how she's very yeah it, yeah and i don't want to be critical about her in that respect because i think that you know it's it's all she's entitled to, she's entitled to her opinions and it's very good to be vocal and i mean when you're a singer songwriter i guess you can you know like harry says himself you can only channel. write about what you know yeah. and you channel your emotions Aww. into your um you know into your music um I just, I really like the idea that A, Cameron, I mean, in the profile, Cameron Crowe asks him a couple of times and Harry tries to really dodge it because he obviously doesn't want to talk about it. Um, which I must guess must be hard because if you're constantly, constantly, constantly being asked about Taylor Swift, it must get absolutely fucking tedious. Oh, I get annoyed just hearing about it. Well, there was... Um, I was like, really? We're having to talk about Taylor Swift again? Well, there was the article in The Guardian recently with Jake Gyllenhaal uh, um, when he was promoting uh-huh. Life and... Um, it's quite a famous. He thing. didn't want to talk. Yeah, he, he was, was like, quite. No. So him, uh, Taylor Swift, and Jake Gyllenhaal dated for a while, and rumor has it that he was the one who took Taylor Swift's virginity and then didn't turn Whoa. up. to her. You don't know this. No, he didn't turn up to her twenty first birthday party. <gasps> oh, that's a, so mean. There's a there's a B side on red. What? So they slept together and then he just didn't turn up. Um, 
And <laughs> I know. And then there's a B side on red that's um I think it's called the moment it's I called, knew. I hate Jake. I hate Jake. It's called the moment I knew, and it's basically talks about. <laughs> she, she famously spent her twenty first birthday crying in the bathroom oh because he didn't God. turn up. I just love this. That is life, isn't I love it? it? That and is the most. I mean, even the biggest superstars on the planet. Yeah, and also Jake Gyllenhaal, especially, is meant to have inspired. Um, uh, we are never getting back together. Yeah. Um, but my point was that the recent interview that uh, Jake did in the Guardian is that. Um, someone asked him about Taylor Swift and that and he went off on one um, and I think it must be very tiresome to get mm. asked about one particular person that you dated several years ago for a very short for period a very of time, short amount of time. and for Harry Boring. I think it very much eclipsed kind of I think it took things to crazy new levels um, 1D fandom is, is like insane oh yeah and I think that very much summarises yeah it. it's insane it's um, I think that um, the Taylor Swift just must have been uh, the, that liaison must have I'm just glad been I was nightmare. belated one D fan I didn't have to deal with that at the time I so. remember reading about it at the time in passing and just thinking like A this is a bad idea it's going to end in Ooh. tears and B just thinking like they're not they're just walking through the park yeah. like it's not even like it's like oh even I'm not interested in this yeah so. so imagine being asked about it over and over again but I just really admired his diplomacy when he was asked about it um you know, he says he hasn't been in touch with her about those songs, but, you know, well done her for writing them. I, I imagine she's not the sort of ex-girlfriend you just ring up. Hey, Taylor, what's up? Do you want us to talk about those songs you wrote about me that are nope. everywhere that I can't get away from? Oh, no. Um, One of my favourite parts about this profile as well was um, we've mentioned the 1D fandom and the really, really huge fan base that One Direction and, you know, the individual members have. And mm -hmm. there's a great quote where... Um, Starves is asked about teenage fans and you know he he gives them real credit and considers them um, intelligent people um, he says um, Starves is aware that his largest audience so far has been young often teenage women asked if he spends pressure filled evenings worried about proving credibility to an older crowd Starves grows animated who's to say that young girls who like pop music short for popular right have worse musical taste than the 30 year old hipster guy that's not up to you to say. Music is something that's always changing. There's no goalposts. Young girls like the Beatles. You're going to tell me they're not serious. How can you say that young girls don't get it? They're our future. Our future doctors, lawyers, mothers, presidents. They kind of keep the world going. Teenage girl fans, they don't lie. If they like you, they're there. They don't act cool. They like you and they tell you, which is sick. I love this. Sick. Everyone, yeah, every fangirl in the whole world i just love his acknowledgement of his ever. fan base that built him up and also just giving them credibility that like it's the sort of acknowledgement that i think it's a lot of snobbiness don't, you, you don't get from zane as much no he, absolutely he hasn't he won't acknowledge where he's come from in the same way no and i think part of one of the things i found most, most frustrating with zane's kind of shedding of his former self is that um it kind of does everything does that kind of stuff a disservice i mean i understand really if you does. don't don't it must be frustrating being in a boy you're band. not giving that credit to the fans who still love that music as well by no. saying like oh it's really uncool and these are people that are paid paid like hundreds oh, of pounds so much money to and go and see you to, so much time yeah to go and see you to buy your music to buy all the merchandise you're endorsing all of this stuff and i think that you know uh, Harry really is acknowledging that his roots and also just to say that like who's to say that those people's opinions aren't valid no. 
you know like if you're a teen girl and your your big deal is like whichever boy band you're into like who the fuck gives you know some critic the role to turn around and say to you like oh what your your opinion isn't valid your interest isn't mm. valid it's one of the great things about the internet actually is it it validates any and all of those kind of interests and fan bases and that i don't know before that i guess growing up feeling i don't know obsessive or absolutely I think deeply a... interested in a band or a person you were kind of doing it slightly alone and now there's this huge world of people who completely understand and just there's a it. huge online community it's great and those communities have always existed but i think that especially now in 2017 so there's true. such a really rich breeding ground for people to you know to make to build like lasting friendships mm. rooted on all of this stuff, so I think it's a really nice. It, I guess it seems a bit fan servicey, but I think it's nice that he acknowledges that you know those people's opinions and mm. everything like that are just as you know worthy as someone who's really infatuated mm. with the new Drake record or the new kind of you know hipster rock, whatever. Hipster rock. Yeah. Um. I also like that he also acknowledges that he comes from. A happy childhood and a secure background and a loving background and doesn't feel the need to make up some sort of tragic yeah so it it does touch upon Um, his upbringing he just freely acknowledges that and i think that's you know yeah i thought that was good it it touches i think that it's funny actually because i think that cameron crowe was really trying to find an angle because he talks about his parents divorce and stuff and harry's like no i had like a really nice angle yeah no like i had a really nice childhood you know i'm both on good terms with both my parents you know they really provided for me i've got a good relationship with my sister all this Mm. stuff so kind of once shows that well a yeah he's you know freely acknowledging that he had a happy upbringing and he you know doesn't have those stories to tell but also you're just not gonna get it's keeping that guard up as you're well, not gonna get it, it. he you're seems not, incre- i mean for this whole interview i think it's really interesting and yet i haven't come out of it learning anything new particularly Mm-mm. not at all so it mentioned i think the I, I can't remember the absolute quote at the end of it but it mentions how you know this is this is like the most open that he's been mm. ever with an interviewer but at the same time <laughs> it's fairly there's so new in there is there not, not at all like you know i think you glean like an insight into <laughs> You know, I know he's boyfriend and Zane and stuff, and it mentions how his friendship with James Corden, living for twenty months in living for twenty months in and producer um, TV producer Ben Winston's oh, attic. That's new. Um, my oh god, I've written here my favorite bit. I've written this all in caps lock. Is mentions giving a carrot cake to Stevie oh Nicks god, at Fleetwood so Mac concert. Yeah. Um, Harry strikes me as someone who's very comfortable in the company of older people. Yeah. Um, you know, other people within the media and just adults in general. He's he's kind of when we discussed what That's we thought. Yeah, when well. we discussed what we thought a Harry Styles album would sound like, we said we thought it'd be a bit throwbacky, a bit yeah. kind of rooted in kind of like that those rock bands that you know that Harry's super into. And I just thought this Fleetwood Mac reference was oh, yeah. like such a nod to that. You can just imagine him fangirling out around Stevie Nicks, mm-hmm. being like Stevie, it's a character. Um, what do you think of? Uh, what do you think of Sign of the Times? What do you think of the single? I didn't like it the first time I heard it and now I've listened to it on rotation. I love it. I really liked it. I think a huge thing for me was watching him on Saturday Night Live. Yeah. That live performance. Yeah. The He's... Graham Norton performance as well was such a... Yeah. So what well, I've always... So, um, in my brief period of time enjoying the work of One Direction, Zane, uh, Zane was my favourite, but I always was 
aware that Harry was the one that Harry's was, the one. Harry's the one. He's so charming. Mm-hmm. He's the one that you know is going to succeed succeed beyond this. Yeah, I think he's the standout amongst them. Absolutely. Sorry, um, and vocally, Harry's voice is just up there. It's up there. And watching those, yeah, watching those live clips, like that kid is. He got kills a it, man. He kills it. That's that live performance of of um, Son of the Times. He just, yeah. And, and I get what they, the, yeah, I get what they mean when they talk about it. Kind of the press release before the album came out was really, you know, having up the the kind of the allusions to Queen and to Bowie, and it was like, yeah, what are you trying to get here? But I, I do see what I they, get it. It does have like an older thing, kind of. It does have grandeur to it. Yeah, it has an older sound. Mm-hmm. One of the things I um in the Rolling Stones, I compare it to um, early Rod Stewart. Yes. And I get that. That's on it. Yeah, I yeah, hadn't yeah. thought of that before. I was like, it is. It yeah. is, isn't it? And you can tell, you know that he's influenced by, by musicians like that. So um, he just seems super keen mm-hmm. to like be involved in music. And, you know, from a real bass level, from songwriting to playing instruments yeah, and stuff like that. I feel like the package that's going to come out. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so... That this leads us on to talking about uh, successful versus unsuccessful um, solo careers. Yeah. Um, I think if I had to, if I had had to have picked from One Direction the person who I thought would succeed beyond the band, um, it would have been Harry. Yeah, I and, agree. And I think followed by Zane. Followed by Zane, whose solo album is fine, but you know, Niall went gone went down a, an Ed Sheeran route. The most Ed Sheeran route, but yeah, it's it's fine. I'd it? forgotten. I mean, I don't listen to Ed Sheeran, so I'm not about to. Listen no, to I'd Nile, forgotten that Nile did that solo song. It's just very. And Louis did the um, collaboration with Steve Aoki. Yeah, which again, you can really see their uh, their personalities. Yeah, I quite like that, and I feel what like. What is Liam gonna do? Just a Cheryl Cole cover? Or... He just strikes me as being about Gary Barlow. Oh, he's. You know when you you know when there's like a new boy band comes out and then you in, instantly think about who's the Robbie Williams. So we're referring to take that. Um, so you know, you know when you sort of think, oh well, he's the so and so of this person of this band. Um, Liam is the Gary Barlow. I reckon he'll go into songwriting so, and stuff like that. Like he just he'll be on me. the Voice or whatever. Yeah, he like... strikes me as someone being involved in that. So Harry, I think, had always, for me at least, always been the one I thought would probably succeed the best at solo careers. And I do think that there is always a standout. Um, this got me thinking a lot about like who's done best. Um, out of boy bands when Are we leaving. just thinking of like pop boy bands? Yeah, I think yeah. so because I think if you go down the route of like people leaving bands generally to form solo careers we could be here for like three days yeah. talking about it. Um, boy band wise obviously so it's remiss to not talk about Rob Williams and Take That. Yeah. Um, I missed the no, I didn't miss the boat on Take That as a kid. We I were quite caught it but yeah, right I mean, at the very we end were, and it never left that. We were quite young when Take That I mean I, I was super into Take That but I also remember being really little and having really no little, yeah. real awareness of like actually you know them I just remember the songs being on top of the pops and being super catchy I do remember being devastated when Robbie Williams left Take That because he was my favourite um, he's been incredibly successful in he's the wake right, of Take That he? I mean I know the and Gary Barlow and Mark Owen tried to have solo careers, but oh none God, of them. I about Mark Owen's solo none of them show. really reached the the no. um, heights of Robbie Williams. His solo albums are good. Okay, they're catchy. <laughs> catchy pop okay. songs. Yeah, I haven't really. I've yeah, I haven't listened to any albums. My mum's a big Robbie Williams. I know you're a big Susie's big. Big Susie's a big Robbie Williams fan. So um, they're just catchy pop songs, and I think he he did a very interesting thing where he um came out of 
the boy band dynamic and did something that was a bit edgy and a bit cool, which sort of is the I kind do of... remember very distinctly the uh the freedom rock DJ. Oh rock DJ. He did video. a video. Couple... That was Oh with the peeling off his flash. Oh wow, everyone was talking about Um that. one of Robert Rhythm's first solo songs was a George Michael cover. He did he covered Freedom. He did. Yeah. Which I think is very very prescient when you think about George Michael technically being in a boy band. Yeah. I oh I love to remember it's like Freedom ninety seven I remember it being called. <laughs> um, God, yeah. So and, I mean I couldn't really think of anyone else within the UK. Um, Ronan Keating from yeah. Boyzone was yeah. my other one, but he I again mean, was a standout. Wham and George Michael are the OG pop. Yeah, band. it depends how far back you think Solo about it, really. Career, yeah. And they did incredibly successfully oh, yeah. and had you know. Had, very very lengthy solo careers um i think personally ronan keating. keating yeah i mean i was very Snore. i liked boyzone did you i but, never was into more boyzone i'm afraid but you know he he was really obviously the one that would be the standout um i think american boy bands are interesting as well um i think that the most successful person to leave a boy band and have a lengthy solo career which has sort of eclipsed his previous justin timberlake justin timberlake yeah i think up there on boy band and girl band, you've got Beyonce and Justin Timberlake. Beyonce and Justin Timberlake. Justin Timberlake is, like, it's actually funny now to think of him being in NSYNC. I really liked yeah. NSYNC. With those blonde curls. His blonde little curls. I really yeah, liked NSYNC. NSYNC. Right. And um, I remember seeing Justin Timberlake live on his Justified tour. Like, so it's the tour of his first. Ah. And he was insanely good. Like, I adore Justin Timberlake. Yeah. And he, you know, he's had, he's had a real global success where someone like Robbie Williams has done, you know, he has a global fan base, but I don't think he's a, a I huge... I don't know what his fan base would be like in America. I don't think he's honest. that popular in the States. I think so. I think that Justin Timberlake is like a, is, is a megastar. Mm-hmm. You know? He's the mega, the mega, mega, mega. He's the top dog, I think. Yeah. So it would be Followed interesting... by JC. Yeah, and he's had a real... JC, <laughs> he had a... Justin's had a real um, long, long career as well. So it will be interesting to see um, how Harry's career fares, really. Mm. I think it will... I'm interested to see what Harry's album sounds like as a full When does it come out? Um, May the 12th, I think. So it's a couple of weeks. Um, it'll be very rocky, yeah. I'm sure. You know, I also discovered, which is, it is on topic, but also off topic. I was thinking about Spice Girls. Mm-hmm. And um, Mel C has seven solo albums. No, she doesn't. Seven. Seven. I, I don't do think you... I knew she had one. Um, her Northern Star. Yes. Oh, First yes. solo record. Yeah. Um, for I loved that record. It was very good. Yeah, I liked the Spice Girls a lot. That has the song with uh, Lisa Left Eye Lopez. Oh, of course. And she also did that song with Brian Adams, which is like well, that's the only that's the only song by Melzi I can remember. Um, Never Be the Same Again. I think is the one with Left Eye. Yeah. Someone. I hadn't remembered that until now, actually. Well, it's funny to think about because I always forget. Well, I don't forget that Beyonce was in Destiny's Child, but it's just they seem like such separate entities in the same way that I think. Justin Timberlake and NSYNC seem like separate entities. Yeah. Um, yeah. Beyonce seems a lot more referential. You see Beyonce hanging out with like Kelly Rowland on a regular basis, whereas I don't think I've seen a picture of Justin Timberlake and the rest of NSYNC in a room. Where are the rest of NSYNC? I don't know. Um, Lance Bass does gossip stuff. Oh, yeah, of course, yeah. And um, Joey Fatone was in, I think he did acting for a bit. No. But who knows? Um, I just want to finish up Harry Styles' bit. With um, so this has all been like very serious, like oh Harry's career, you know, where is he going to go stylistically, blah blah, finding his identity, oh, great. escaping the boy band bit. My 
I, this seems so absolutely fucking random, but I felt like going back to the fact that this is written by Cameron Crowe, this seemed like something out of Almost Famous. Like this, this to me just I could it felt like the I am a golden god, Russell Hammond on the top of a house moment. So he talks about it says. To wind down in Jamaica, Styles and Roland, the guitarist, began a daily Netflix obsession with sugary romantic comedies. Houseworkers would sometimes leave at night and return the next morning to see Styles blearily removing himself from a long string of rom-coms. He declares himself an expert on Nicholas Sparks, whom he now calls Nicky Spee. Yeah, I saw. Like, one... That's Harry... probably the biggest insight we have in this whole interview. Yeah, one, Harry Styles enjoys a Netflix binge. Two, he understands the genius of the work of Nicholas Sparks. Three, what's his favourite Nicholas Sparks film? I, I didn't wish even... he'd asked. I wish he'd asked. That was actually what I was like, what the fuck, why didn't you ask him? Is he a notebook guy? Yeah. Does he like Dear John? I can't imagine, yeah. I bet he's super into the notebook. Yeah. Although maybe that would just remind him of Taylor Swift too much. I bet her favourites. No, but anyway, I, I very much recommend going back and listening, to, uh, listening, reading this Rolling Stone article. Um, you absolutely will glean no information about Harry Styles himself, about well, his ins and outs, likes, wants, needs in life. Likes tequila. But he likes tequila. He likes. He references Prince twice. He does, and he talks about how he wishes he could name the album a sign of the times. Yeah, and I was like, don't do it. And he's produced. It's verging on. It was verging on. Well, if people were going to be really precious about it, they yeah. maybe even naming the song "Side of the Times." Um, I just liked how was, naive. Yeah, cutting it close. I just liked how naively he was like, "Oh, I wish we I could, could have named it." No, no Harry, you can't. That's like an iconic album name. You can't just jack that for your. That's not yeah. New generation. So yeah, I definitely recommend going and and reading that. Um, we'll tweet out a link to it if you haven't stumbled across it already. Um, and I recommend reading it with the full knowledge that um, Harry Styles um, is Russell Hammond from Almost Famous. <laughs> yeah. the, the, once, once you think about it, it all makes sense. Basically, so. same thing. Um, so, so just to round up, um, Obsession of the Week. Do you have one this week? No. You don't have one at oh, all? Oh, hang on, hang on, hang on. Um, mine's Army Hammer. Is it? Yeah. Mostly because of Free Fire. Oh, did I even when we did our free fire bit? Did I even mention he's in it? I don't think we did. Army Hammer's in free fire. Everyone. I you said very briefly. He looks except army, but army, funny name. He looks great army. in a polo neck and has a nice. He beard. does. He looks really good. I just thought it was really funny. I'd never really cared for him previous to this. I didn't like. He's in the what Social Network. Oh, social, yeah, but and I he played the Lone that. Ranger, mm-hmm. I think. And um, I I don't really know what else he's done. He's he's great though. He's just really funny in Free Fire. He has a nice beard. 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 Neck combo. Beard neck combo. Um, I also spent a lot of time Googling um, young Beastie Boys. Oh, yes. We had a brief Beastie Boys moment um, last week. Brief sabotage Brief sabotage moment. And um, I then proceeded to spend a lot of time Googling young Adam Horowitz, um, which is a great time for all, I think. Mm. Big into into Beastie Boys and Mm. that. Can we just give a brief shout out to uh, Tom Hardy wrestling that moped driver? Oh, you didn't didn't ground. do this. We didn't cover this in the news, um, so maybe that could be your obsession. My obsession of the week is uh, Tom Hardy Saving calling the day. someone a cunt after 
chasing down uh, a moped thief who crashed a moped and uh, legged it effectively. Did you, did you read the... Gardens. So I thought... First, citizen's arrest. Did he did a citizen's arrest. Um, I just loved the idea that Tom Hardy, A, felt it was an acceptable thing to do, and B, I'm that just he... I'm so pleased he did. Well, I mean, why wouldn't you? He did I, it in a big old badass way. No, I mean, we talked to, we talked about the blurring of lines between someone's on-screen and off-screen <laughs> persona. I think Tom Hardy's rapidly becoming... Yeah, he's bang. getting more cockney by the day. He's becoming a real cray. Um, he really is. Um, nice Citizens Arrest said something about... I can't remember what it was now, but it brilliant. Well nice one-liner in there. Just That's what you want from a Tom 10 Hardy out of 10. Um, Real-life hero. Uh, well done Tom Hardy for saving the day yeah um just a reminder that you can find us on Twitter um at the first um iTunes search the first soundcloud.com forward slash the first pod um that's also our Instagram um name as well um rate review subscribe um tell all your friends listen with two headphones yeah listen to it with two yeah maybe that should be a sign off oh and thank you for Thomas for doing our theme music it's very bopping. It's very glitchy and Crystal Castles, which was the brief that you were A given. lot of effort went into it, I hear. So. Thanks a lot. Yeah. Um, job. Cool. Bye. 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 <laughs>